Hi everybody, good to see you. My name is Joel, I'm one of the leaders here in the church and uh, we go through bits of the Bible in our teaching every week here at Emmanuel. We're going through the book of Isaiah or at least we're going through just a, a chapter from it or even half a chapter, the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 9 because it is Advent, it's the build up to Christmas and we're doing a series called The Gift where we're, we're looking at what it means to look forward to the coming of Jesus, to uh, the arrival of, of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The people of the Old Testament looked forward to his first coming, and we look forward to his second coming. But we kind of we get a, a script as to how to look forward to his second coming by looking at how these prophets from hundreds of years before viewed his first coming, how they, they looked forward and, and got excited in anticipation about the first coming of the Messiah, that the, the rescuing, conquering king that they longed and hoped for. So we, we look at these verses that go back centuries and centuries and thousands of years, and they help us to look forward to Christmas, if you like. They, they help us to look forward to what Christmas represents, which is even better than Christmas the coming of, of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus, God's answer to the world, God's solution, God's rescue plan uh, for his world. And so we're looking at uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. We would have uh, read them out in your meeting. Hello, by the way, to everybody in Shoreham and to everybody at uh, the marina and everybody at the Clarendon Villas site in Hove. Uh, by the way, we are just also starting our tour of Christmas events under the title also of The Gift. We did the first one uh, at the Clarendon Centre this last Sunday uh, in the central Brighton uh, site, if you like, and it was a spectacular, epic success, rammed. You couldn't get a seat, and the show was phenomenal. Uh, honestly, you guys having it in your sites in Shoreham and, and in Hove and in Marina, you're going to absolutely love it. Uh, Kenny McCush uh, has told me that everybody who comes to the Marina site for it, uh, will be getting a Guinness from him. He's buying one for everybody. And Matt Davis has said the same for everyone who comes to the Shoreham one. So uh, that's excellent. David Brading has made no such promise because he supports Arsenal and that's the kind of guy he is. Actually, David Brading is very, very excited. He's uh, living in the glow of their victory last week over Spurs. And so he needs, he needs, uh, he's humbling and we will keep praying uh, for him. But anyway, let's get into Isaiah. I'm going to read from chapter 9 and verses 3 to 5. Oh, by the way, one last thing. The gift day. I wanted to mention this to you. We uh, have every term at Emmanuel, what we call gift days, where we, we put huge amounts of money aside for projects that are above and beyond our normal budget as a church. This term, we've been giving money to Friends First, uh, which is our, our flagship project for serving the disadvantaged in the area. And uh, we've been raising money for that uh, for years. This term, we, we went for uh, a figure of 130 grand. Uh, so far, we have raised 108,000 pounds which is phenomenal. We announced a figure a couple of weeks ago. It's gone up to £108,000. Um, I want to encourage you. Listen, you may have not yet given to it. There is the, still the opportunity to give to help us to close that gap. It would be amazing if before Christmas we got to that hundred and thirty grand figure so that we're able to serve the people of this city, serving uh, the poor in Brighton and Hove area as best as we possibly can as a church. 
it would be fantastic if we could do that to the maximum and optimize on this fantastic project and do everything we plan to do next year. Uh, please get behind us with this gift day if you haven't already. My wife and I, we gave a certain amount in the first week. Uh, my wife encouraged me to, to give the same amount again the following week. And so prayerfully, I considered ignoring her and then felt that it was the right thing to do. So we went crazy again. We gave above and beyond. We, we gave an amount, frankly, that I hadn't quite budgeted for in my annual financial plan. Uh, but I prayed and said, Lord, if, if you would please look after us, I would love to give more because we want to give more to serving the poor in the city. So we, we went again, we gave again, and, uh, and we gave a certain amount. I was praying to see what, you know, what would happen next. Will God look after us for Christmas? Just this last week, uh, we got a letter from our mortgage company. They had made a mistake about something earlier in the year they refunded us for their mistake and they gave us compensation for their mistake guess how much the compensation was the exact amount that we gave extra for the gift day God is faithful he meets our needs this happens so often I run out of stories to tell but we are so encouraged and satisfied to know that God looks after uh, his children as they step out in acts of risky generosity let me ask you have you had an adventure with God in 2018 with your giving it's not too late to have one please let's go for it with this gift day we might close that gap before the end of the year anyway Isaiah 9 let me read to you from verses 3 4 and 5 it just says this you have multiplied the nation you have increased its joy they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now, I know that sounds very obscure and it might be very confusing, but let's ask God for his help and pray that the Holy Spirit leads us and speaks to us through this passage of scripture as I seek to explain it to you today. Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the one about whom it speaks, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit who's given uh, of the Father through the Son so that we could not just understand sermons, but so we could hear the voice of God and be transformed by the experience. And we pray, would you come, Holy Spirit, speak to us, each one, lead us into truth and bring us into the joy and the wonder of knowing the Lord Jesus better. I pray that for every single one of us hearing this in Shoreham, in the marina, in Hove and here in Central Brighton. We pray for it in Jesus' name and all those watching it on uh, YouTube or listening on podcasts as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this this passage here describes an atmosphere of festivity. It's, it's actually not far away, I suppose, from a kind of a Christmas equivalent. Isaiah was writing in, I guess, six, seven hundred years BC. Uh, this guy has a very different cultural experience to us, but he talks about joy and rejoicing in the midst of the harvest. 
And I suppose a harvest for people in his time would have been an annual time of celebration and an annual time of enjoyment because everything, the grain, the grapes, the bread, the wine uh, is now available. The food is ready. Uh, we can celebrate the success of the year. We can enjoy the closing of the year and, and have family time and have partying. And I suppose there would be some Christmas equivalence to it in, in some ways. And then he's talking about spoils as well, which is a different concept. He's talking about the, the winnings from a battle. Uh, at the end of a, of a military campaign, if you were successful, you would have spoils. There would be something that's been acquired. There'd be territory. There might even be some wealth that's been taken back from an enemy. Perhaps uh, these people knew a lot about being oppressed by enemy nations. Uh, this isn't necessarily our typical experience. We're not living in the, the, the sort of the day-by-day, week-by-week threat of enemies invading our neighborhoods with, with swords and spears and bows and arrows. But these people were far more than, they were far more used to that possibility and they were used to coming under the oppression and the hardship from dominant, bullish, cruel regimes like the Assyrians and later on like the Babylonians. Uh, these people in Israel, they, they were not particularly confident against the superpower Assyrians, but Isaiah here is talking about the, the prospect of defeating those who would oppress. And they'd been used to being uh, told from youth, from childhood, from the, from the cradle, these, these Jews and these, these Israelites of Isaiah's time, of their story of being set free from slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt. They knew about oppression. They knew about slavery. It was in their story. It was in their, in their family tree. It was kind of in the blood. And, and yet they'd been rescued. They'd been phenomenally rescued. God had set them free from the rod of their oppressor and the staff and the, 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 the cruel burden of the yoke of slavery. God had set them free and they had got spoils from it. In other words, they got some of the wealth of their Egyptian slave owners into the bargain. When they got their freedom, God said, now you can have some of their wealth as well. So when Isaiah starts talking about enjoying the harvest and enjoying the spoils of victory. These people have got all kinds of uh, bells going off in their head. They've got, it kind of, it speaks to them. They, they remember their story, their identity, and they remember they are a people rescued from oppression, and they're called to look forward to a similar glorious stroke of liberation that God promises to bring into their future. Now, you and me, when we read this stuff about uh, being rescued and delivered from slavery, we might think, well, that doesn't relate to me very directly because I'm, I'm not under that kind of oppression. I'm not at danger of being beaten up by a slave master particularly. Most of us aren't under those kinds of threats a lot of the time. It's, it's, it's therefore potentially possible for us to, to start dismissing these chunks of the Bible and seeing them as not really directly relevant to us at all. We, we, we're not slaves. We're not under any kind of oppression of that kind. And yet, actually, the point Isaiah is making is richer still. He's not just talking about physical oppression. That's included, I'm sure, in the, the plan for God, uh, God has for, for the peoples of the earth and uh, for, for the nations of the world is that he will bring justice. He will bring uh, transformation for the likes of those who seek and call out for him for, for deliverance. God comes to rescue, and yet the, the enemies 
from which God wants to rescue people are not just the, pra- the practical physical enemies, the physical slave masters that the, the Egyptians were or the Assyrians were to become. They're the slave masters, I suppose, of just evil spiritual oppression coming under spiritual forces that deprive us of our joy, our peace, our freedom. Uh, Things just as simple as fear, very real fears that that can snatch away our our fun, can strangle us and can can squeeze the the life out of us and cause us to go through life kind of kind of intimidated and even crippled by a sense of foreboding, the fear of death, the fear of sorrow and suffering, the fear of exclusion, the fear of rejection, even experiences of rejection, even experiences of shame, feeling always as though we're, we're left out, that we're, we're laughed at, we're ignored, we, we're not acceptable, feelings that we're stained, that we're messed up, feelings that our past is is, is ruined, that we've failed, that we, we're not good enough, that we have blown it, that we've got stuff in our past that, that still drags us down. And even slavery and bondage to, to good things. The Bible talks about being enslaved under the law. And the law isn't a bad thing. God, God has given a law that the Bible includes very clear commands that God gives to the human race to say, this is what you should do and this is, this is what you shouldn't do. This is the way to live and this is not the way to live. But those good commands can become, for people like us, with all our f- suspicion of God and all of our distance from God and all our problems of, of being cut off from God, those commands can become like a, a slavery to us where we, we, we feel we've got to try and keep these rules, but really we're always fighting a losing game. We never feel good enough. We never feel that we've achieved what we wanted to. We've never felt that we've succeeded in keeping God happy and being good enough for this terrifying, unpleasant person that seems to demand stuff from us that we can't really keep up with. And if we even don't believe in God, we still come under certain laws, things that we think we ought to achieve, we ought to have accomplished, New Year's resolutions that at this end of the year might even seem a total joke to us. Looking back on 2018, how's it gone for you? If you the things that you said that you were going to do this year, you know, how's that going? Are you, are you confident you've succeeded in all of the dreams that you might have had for 2018? I'm sure that the reality is that we've got many regrets many failings, many things that make us feel, I can't achieve, I can't succeed, I can't win. And actually that can become a rod of oppression, a burden, a yoke, something we come under and it squeezes the life out of us, squeezes the fun out of us and and gives us no sense of victory. And yet Isaiah here is promising to God's people that they will enjoy the sure merits, the sure rewards of a complete and utter victory. And this is fascinating because he uses images that if we were to enjoy, if you were to enjoy a real military victory, you expect it to be full of pain, you expect it to be full of risk, full of difficulty, uh, you, you also don't know if you're going to win. That's the whole thing about a war, surely. You, you're living with the uncertainty. You're living with the sense of, 
anxiety. Will we even win? What's the outcome? Will I even survive a battle today? What's going to happen when we go into war? The idea of fighting for freedom is mixed with the idea of possible loss of everything. And then at the same time, he uses the image of harvesting. And the harvest is, is what comes at the end of a whole year of waiting and delay and hard work in the fields, all that is involved with good cultivation. It's not simple agriculture. It's busy, hard labor. And again, it's unknown. We don't know the shape of the harvest. Will it succeed? Will we be filled? Will we flourish? Will, will we feed the family? We don't know. And Isaiah plucks those two images, going into battle with uncertain outcomes, going into the field with uncertain outcomes. And he says, God is inviting people into not trying their hardest at harvesting, not trying to farm, trying to win a fight. He's inviting you in to having won. He's saying to you, I want you to live in the good of final victory. I want you to know that you begin this experience of living under the Messiah, under the Christ, living under Jesus is going to be like this. You've already won. <laughs> living in Jesus means we've, 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 we face an enemy who has already been beaten. Living obedient to Jesus, trusting Jesus, loving Jesus, having Jesus at the center of our lives means that the one who has conquered every enemy, every real enemy, the ones that seem too much for us, he has beaten them all and he has shared his victory with you and me. That's, that's the wonder of it. That's the wonder of Christmas, the wonder of the Jesus that God has brought into the world. His son, his perfect son, has come into the world as a child, as a, as, a, as a baby, but someone with extraordinary power to, to deal with the worst kinds of enemies. And, and Isaiah uses a few images to make this point. He talks uh, there in verse uh, 4 about the way that the rod of the oppressor, the staff of the shoulder, the yoke of the burden are broken as on the day of Midian. Midian. Now, we don't have a clue, most of us, what Midian even means. What does that mean? What was that, Midian? Well, it was, a, it was like, I suppose for us, we would look back to famous events in our history, you know, D-Day, uh, the Battle of Britain, or maybe, a, you know, a great football match, something, something that, that we remember as that was the moment that we all remember as a victory moment. Well, these people would have had the Battle of Midian right up there. It was an extraordinary moment of success where an oppressive hideous, cruel enemy, the Midianites, were dealt with magnificently. <laughs> Israel defeated them with such complete, overwhelming power that the, the real threat of Midian was gone forever. And it's a phenomenal story. It's in the book of Judges, uh, chapter 6 and 7. It's a phenomenal story. But the thing about the battle of Midian, and Isaiah chooses his battle carefully, is how much it shows the power of God showing up in the weakness of people. You see, the, the Battle of Midian, you could say that Gideon and his army won the Battle of Midian. You could say that, but it would be a bit of an exaggeration because in reality, 
that Gideon and his army were useless. Gideon was a, was a coward. He was a weak man. He said so himself. Very, very clearly, he opens up to being frightened, to being cowardly. He, 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 it's too long a story to explain it, but this is not you know, Braveheart. This is not Henry V. This is the guy that would not get close to the audition. He wouldn't want to be at the audition. And God chose Gideon, and God chose this army of people that he then whittled down to 300 people to face the Midianites. There were tens of thousands. God took these men, of whom there were thousands, and he whittled it down from 38,000 or thereabouts down to about uh, 10,000, and then he, he took it down even lower to 300 people. And then he armed them. And you think, well, he's going to arm them with bazookas or something. You know, he's going to, whatever he gives them, it's going to be 300. They're going to give them tanks for sure. No, he arms them with basically this. I brought one along. That's about it. He gave them a trumpet. He also gave them, just to make it festive, I thought I'd give you the sort of things that your kids might be getting in their stockings. So one of these and one of these. A torch. So he gave them a torch and a trumpet. He armed a, 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 a little group, a little bodyguard of 300 men with some stocking fillers to face thousands upon thousands of bloodthirsty Midianites. And they went out to battle, you know, ready to blow their trumpet just on time <laughs> and to blow their torch, oh, to, 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 to show their torch shine just in time. Not, you know, It wasn't electric, it was a flame, but they made it all come out just at the right time. And straight away, the Midianites are terrified, start killing each other, which is a little weird. It shows that God basically showed up and used the weakest situation, the weakest attack, the weakest people, and, and got in amongst his enemies and used it to destroy and defeat a terrible foe. The message being, God delights to show up and do what we can't do, and then to invite us in to enjoy the victory that he has provided for us. And that, that is the message of Jesus. You can't rescue yourself from death. You can't rescue yourself from, from the fear of death. You can't rescue yourself from, from, from your sin, your, your failure to do what God wants. You can't rescue yourself by keeping the law. You can't rescue yourself. It's a terrible, terrible uh, uh, burden upon us. We can't keep this law. It's an oppressive monster burden. We can't do it. In fact, what the law becomes to us is very much like what it describes here, a yoke and a burden. When I say a yoke, I mean like what animals in the ancient world would have, would have carried along as they went through the fields plowing uh, the ground. They were, they were brought, the, the oxen, the, the, of the cattle of the field would have a yoke upon them as they were harnessed together. Beasts of burden, literally, a yoke, a burden, an oppressive pressure put on the shoulders that seems to crush, that seems to enslave, that seems to make us feel like just cattle. The law can be like that, trying to be good, trying to be good enough, trying to succeed, trying to make an impression, trying to impress. At the end of 2018, surely we all are aware by now, we, we, the more we as individuals try to impress, whether it's trying to impress God or trying to impress one another or trying to impress ourselves, 
we, we'll get nowhere. We'll get exhaustion. We'll get failure. We'll get weary. We'll get burdened with a yoke of, of oppression. And Christmas is about God rescuing us. How has he done that? How has he broken the rod of oppression, the staff from our shoulders? Well, it's there in verse 6, which was read out earlier on. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. That's it. A, a child. It's, it's actually all in the hands of a little child. <laughs> it's all in the work of, of a simple little child. God rescues the world through the work of a tiny baby. Talk about showing up in weakness. But, but this weakness, this little weak baby was to become the mighty conqueror, the one who went into the most brutal field of battle that's ever been known. He went into no man's land. He went out carrying our burden. And, and when we think of you know, these images of carrying a burden, carrying a staff on our shoulder, being beaten down by it, this is what literally happened to this little child as he, as he grew to manhood. He took on his shoulders, literally, up the hill of Calvary, the cross that we should carry. Jesus took it for us. I remember watching the movie, The Passion of the Christ, and you, 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 you've probably seen it. I guess many of you will have seen it. I've only seen it the once. I don't think I could watch it again. It's, it's, it's kind of traumatizing in a way. But it's, it's got a scene in it that's extraordinarily moving because it's, it kind of plays on, on your heartstrings. His, his mother watches him stumbling under the cross as Jesus falls down. The cross is too heavy to carry. His mother has a flashback of when, as a child, he would have fallen in the backyard, and she runs to him to say, I'm here, I'm here. And she's, she's kind of just feeling terrible maternal grief for her, her dying son, suffering in such, such horror and indignity and shame and agony. And he, he sees her coming, and he gets up, and he looks her in the eye, and he says, Mother, see how I make all things new. And he puts his shoulder to the cross and carries it on. This, this is him here. He's, he's dealt with the agony on our shoulder by carrying it himself. The burden of the law. We can't keep it. He kept it for us. The enemy of sin, the enemy of shame, the enemy of accusation, the enemy of evil attack and spiritual forces that make us afraid and ruin our joy and steal our sleep. Jesus took them on. He shouldered the burden. So that now his word to people like you and me, people like these ones Isaiah writes for, well, it's, it's what he says in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened. All those who've had the yoke of oppression, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke my yoke, his yoke, upon you. And learn from me, for I am humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for the yoke that I give you is easy, and the burden that I shall give you is light. So, so you're saying, if, if I follow Jesus, then it should be it should be easy, but you said he's going to give me a burden. He says, yeah, it, yeah. following Jesus is a burden. For sure, it is a burden. Following Jesus, if you, if you love Jesus and you follow him at all, you know what I mean. There are times when it's a, it's a burden. There's 
There's some pain, there's some challenge. But Jesus says, no, but the yoke I give is easy. It's light. It's so different than the burden of the law. If you love Jesus, but you feel oppressed by your own failures, and you're trying to deal with them by becoming better and working harder, becoming a better person, can I ask you to come back to Jesus? Can I ask you to just come back to him? Can I remind you who your real master is? He's the one that says, the yoke I give you is easy. The burden I give you is like, if you're, if you're exhausted by the burden of oppression and the law, come back to Christ. Come and say, I'm so sorry, Jesus. I, I lost my way. My heart is for you. I want you. I want your yoke. I want your burden. I don't want, my, I don't want to live for the world's accolades. I don't want to live for people's approval. I don't even really want to live for my approval. It's just, it's just a dead thing. I don't care so much now. I want to be humble like you are. I want to receive the favor of a father who loves me because I'm in Christ. Because this baby born in a manger, this one born unto us, this child given to us, has defeated my enemies. I don't have to go into battle hoping to win, hoping if I might win and I might succeed, but could, this could go badly. No, my friend, the battle's been won. Enjoy the victory that Christ has achieved. If we, if we work hard this year, if we do really well as a church, if I do really well in my business, if I do really well with my kids, if I do really well in my marriage, if I do really well at these things, then maybe, maybe there'll be a good harvest. Maybe good things can come into my life because I've earned them. I've worked really hard for them and maybe I can get some good things and, and, and I could actually get a harvest. But who knows? We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. My friend, come back to Jesus Christ and rejoice in the harvest of his work. That doesn't mean there isn't going to be hard work. There are some challenges. Jesus said to his disciples in, in John chapter 16 and verse 33, he says, in this life you will have trouble. You will have trouble. It's not that we, we kind of therefore don't have to face enemies and challenges. Some of us are facing them right now. Some of them are very real to us. Some of us, we know that following Jesus hasn't stopped us having trouble. If he carried a cross, we're going to carry some crosses too. We'll carry the cross, but we'll carry little ones. <laughs> we'll carry little ones because he carried the real one. He fought the real enemy. He took on the Midianites. He took on the Goliath. And because he took him on, we get to, we get to fight some battles. But it's like we fight little kids' battles in comparison. He includes us in. He says, okay, you, you take some battles on. Some of you are feeling that. You're thinking, God, Jesus, it's quite hard going following you at the moment. Well, take it as a compliment. Right now, if you're going through a battle in your Christian life, good. <laughs> it's, it's a compliment. It's Jesus saying, you're joining me on the right road. My son, my daughter, come, walk with me. I love you. I, I plan good things for you. My heart is for you. Now join me. Carry a little cross. I've carried the real one. So you can know assuredly as anything <laughs> that there's multiplication. There's joy. There's light. You, you can know that there's, there's no ambiguity. You don't have to think, am I going to win? Jesus has already won. He's taken that burden away. You can live in the light of it. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he said, very same verse, John chapter 16, verse 33. But take courage, for I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. See, the worst that the world can throw at you, and it will throw stuff at you. It'll throw stuff at me. It'll throw stuff at the church sometimes. It will feel that from time to time, and it won't be pleasant. 
But take courage, Jesus says. I've overcome the world. You might think, how, how does that work? Does that make any difference really to me? How do I, how do I enjoy that? How do I... You know, it's nice to be told, well, he's overcome the world. Does that, does that make me feel like he's overcome the world? I don't always feel like it. Well, that's why John, at the end of his life, in John chap- 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, he makes it very plain. He says it very helpfully. He says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. You want to know how to appropriate the victory that Jesus has won? That's it there. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. Okay, If you love Jesus... Overcome the world. You don't have to. He's done it for you. You're already an overcomer. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. What does that mean? It means this. Eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. Eyes on the one who's victorious. Eyes on him. I mean it. That takes time. That takes some discipline. Sure, it takes some devotion. It takes some commitment. I want to get my eyes on Jesus every day. Often. I want to keep my eyes on him because that's how I overcome. That's the way I have my eyes on him. Faith overcomes. That perspective that comes from it helps me go through whatever. Listen, that's, that's the battle that we've got to fight in this, in this life. We'll, we'll fight enemies that will seem real. Even next year, 2019, maybe right now you're facing some. How are you overcoming them? Not by your strength, but by your eyes on Jesus, my friend. Ultimately, that's what you need more than anything. Let me encourage you to take that seriously throughout this this Christmas season and throughout the year to come. I I remember a a story that my my dad tells me from from years back where he he was in China and he he met with a pastor in a Chinese church. And this, this, this pastor had been in prison. And he, he, he'd been in prison because he was a, a Christian, because he loved Jesus. They put him in prison for years, separate from his family, mistreated in all kinds of ways. And my dad had the privilege of meeting him, and he, he talked to him, and he said to him, it must have been so hard for you. It must have been so hard for you. Do you know what this pastor said in response? He said to him simply, it's nothing compared to the cross. It's nothing compared to the cross. My dad, my dad said, it wasn't just the words. It was the way he said the words. It was like he, he honestly was utterly free from any self-pity because his, his focus wasn't on his suffering and the struggle in this world. He learned to overcome through faith, through eyes on Jesus. He, he was seeing Jesus more clearly, perhaps, because of prison and problems, that the struggles had perhaps forced him in a way to to have his eyes even more focused on Jesus. But it gave him an amazing liberty and a peace and a wonder and a joy, a sense that he was kind of free from the stuff that would definitely affect me if I went through anything like that, I guess. But, but maybe if I did go through something like that, I would begin to learn some of the lessons that that pastor in China learned. He overcame by faith. He saw Jesus, the overcomer. He had his eyes fixed on the one who'd been through far worse on his behalf. And that's how we're to, to live. That's how we're to be free. And if we're free like that, actually we start to bring others into our freedom. 
to, to celebrate our freedom in such a way that we can, we can rescue others. We can bring them in to enjoy it. The interesting thing is that when Gideon won the battle of Midian in the book of Judges, I know it sounds a bit like I'm trying to rhyme. Just trust me, Gideon, Midian, no coincidence. They, 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 they're in the same passage. Gideon wins this battle and he, he, he actually is approached by other people saying, can we come and join in and, and get some of the, the victory with you? And Gideon says, yes, join in, join in. And that's, again, the heart of Jesus. Jesus has won a battle for us. He says, now come join in, enjoy the victory, enjoy the wonder of it. We need for our friends, our neighbours, our colleagues, our families to be brought into the victory of Jesus Christ. And that will also feel like a battle sometimes. Winning people to Jesus Christ can be slow. It can be like slow farming. It can be like, when's the harvest going to come in? Listen, hear me. Don't give up on what God is doing. It might be a slow harvest, but Jesus has already won it for us. And we can start to enjoy the process of bringing others into it with us. Let me just pray and we'll close there. Father, Help us to live in the good of what your son Jesus has done through his complete and final victory as our saviour, as our Messiah. Help us to have our eyes on him. And let the impact of that be that we, we're able to overcome, even in this world of trouble. In Jesus' name, amen.